Hello and welcome to He's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Yes. Full title, John Wick 3. Parabellum means prepare for war. Yes. And this is the third in a series that sprung up slightly from nowhere and has kind of um, earned an awful lot of praise as a, basically a really good action series. Particularly, yes. and it's, it's, it basically, it's all about the action scenes. Yes. You know, I don't think people really pay the story that much attention. It's about the action sequences. Yes, except maybe in the first film. Yeah, so, well, um, it the films are directed by uh, Chad Stahelski and... Uh, I thought it was just Chad Stahelski. He's the only one credited. Um, David Leach is the other one. David Leach. I'm not sure the pronunciations of their names, but basically Chad Stahelski was... Keanu Reeves' body double and stunt guy on The Matrix. He's, yes. I mean, he's got loads and loads of stunt credits, yes. um, as does David Leitch. Uh, but Chastelsky met Keanu Reeves on The Matrix, and then in The Matrix 2 and 3, um, he was the martial arts stunt coordinator. Yes. And that's where David Leitch got involved as a stunt guy. Right. To my knowledge, right? And then, and, uh, then this kind of John Wick thing came up, and Keanu Reeves had the script, and he sent it to these two... Um, kind of basically with the idea that they would be doing the action, but he kind of said, secretly, I hope that they would direct it, and he was thrilled when they did, right? So he also saw something in them, wanted to work with them, found, you know, thought this had thought this was kind of, had the possibility of being a great sort of creative partnership, and this is the perfect thing for them, because it's all action-based. Mm. And um, and a lot has been made of the fact that they are, uh, that, that these are stunt coordinators and kind of stunt choreographers, or fight choreographers, who are in charge of this as directors. There's a kind of air of the action is what this is all about. Well, that wasn't true of the first film, I don't think. Um, And I'm not even sure if it was true of the second film. I think it's definitely true of this film, which is not to its credit. In terms of the actual result? Yes. Yeah, I I kind of agree. But I think in terms of... I think... think in terms of what went into it and the, the kind of the way that you were sort of, sort of sold on it. Like, all I heard about the first John Wick was, you know, it's the stunt guys who are making this and it's, so it's the action. It's, it's all about the really great action. Well, I mean, that was definitely not true of... Uh, and it's not even what I liked best about John Wick 1. I mean, I really loved all the sadness of it. Yeah. You know, the mournfulness and kind of just the doggedness of seeing what's right yeah that you know kind of and i also love the humor in it right you don't fuck around with a man or his dog right like or his car right so um i liked all of that but but part of the way that i liked it was you know because there was this overhanging melancholy it felt like a really existential film and then of course the action was fantastic um and i do want to give that credit because and, and and maybe this is something that people are finding of value because I do think action sequences have lost their way, right? Like kind of, you're looking at all of this garble on screen, you can make no sense of it. And it's just a lot of quick editing with limbs flying around that you don't even know who they belong to. So actually the fact that you actually see the action, that you see it completed, that, you know, yeah, I, I'm not I really sure I agree with that. I, uh, the, the idea of seeing actions complete and so on and so forth, it, it has a lot of merit to it, but the idea that action has lost its way, I think there's always been crap action. Always. I think I think it's more than that. I think um, 
I mean, the only action sequences that I really liked looking at, you know, and which are done in a very different way to this one, are um, in some of the Jason Bourne films. That's about it. Mission Impossible. I love the set pieces. I don't love the action in it. I don't like the fights in it. Um, mm. The Raid. Remind me, what is that? The Raid, the raid is the Indonesian pair directed by the Welsh fella. It, they're fantastic, all right. Mm, I, 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 I may not have seen it. Really? Oh, you yes. doesn't? Well, did you like the action in this? Yes and no. I mean, the problem with this film is that it is all action. That actually you end up caring about nobody. So, you know, at the very beginning of the film, like, I was gleeful about this sequence in the library, right? That was fantastic. It was absolutely you know, great. And witty. And, but then, at a certain point, you just think, it's relentless. It's like one set piece after another, after another, after another, and they all look the same, right? Or they all feel the same. There's no kind of, you know, rhythmic kind of um, development or, uh, in any of it. It's not as if there's one funny, you know, uh, 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 action sequence and then another one that's suspenseful and then another one that's just spectacular. No, it's all, they all feel like very samey. And I got really tired of them by the end. I was hoping the film would finish, actually. I agree and disagree in equal measure. I agree with the fact that the action, with the exception of that opening scene, was very samey, didn't have much of a, a kind of a concept or a shape to it. There was a thing about setting it in the room that's all light and mirrors and stuff, but yes. you know, there's nothing really to it. It felt incredibly... I was bored as hell. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the gunplay as well. You know, I mean, the, the, the other films had a bit of... It's, it's called Gun Qatar or Gun Fu, where it's like, you know, it incorporates, it comes from Chinese cinema, incorporating guns, it comes actually particularly from John Woo, mm. incorporating guns into uh, what would otherwise be uh, hand-to-hand combat or mm. knives and that sort of thing. Because um, there was this thing of how Chinese film didn't, wasn't really interested in guns, you know, they make things boring. Mm. But John Woo found a way to make them kind of orchestral and crazy and, and beautifully choreographed and things. And, you, and then you saw that move into some things like The Matrix and found its way into American cinema. There's a film called Equilibrium, in mm. about 2002 with Christian Bell that I just I love I love the action in that it's stupid as hell mm. you know it's kind of dancing around with guns but it's wonderful point is anyway the, gu- the gunplay in this is, is boring and it doesn't have any of that inventiveness or any of that beautiful kind of choreography um, so I agree that the action is boring but I disagree that it's relentless like it, there's a lot of it but actually after that opening scene where he's kind of initially on the run there's half an hour of talking and it's I all trying. I didn't feel that. Oh, it really is. It's all just delivering this plot, plot, plot. It's just, your your main enemy turns out to be like a loss adjuster who's like, we're very unhappy with the fact that you didn't kill John Wick and so and so. And there's still all this talking about the plot and like the people that he's owed and stuff. Like when he goes to see um, Angelica Houston, a lot of time spent just going blah blah blah. It's pass, in, pass, pass. It's interspersed by a million fights. He's uh, got to kill everybody on the way to see her. A little bit, <laughs> a little bit, but not very much. Like the relentlessness starts later, and there's all this talking. And, and if anyone watches, this, I can't imagine anyone who's watching these films that's interested in the plot. And there is so much plot. This is two hours long. Well, and very unnecessary. So actually, I think it's a long time before the boring action really starts. Well, I did. I, I, all of the plot points are interspersed with fights. So he's got to kill all these people before he gets to Angelica Houston. So I, I agree that um, the fight scenes are boring. I think they're relentless. But actually, kind of, you know, in a way that doesn't matter. Uh, I mean, I think what matters, in, in, in my view, is that 
some of the things that I appreciated in, in previous versions of the film, I actually now see in a different light. So, for example, one of the things that I really loved about the other films is just the way they look, the graphic qualities. And in this one, though actually you see how the graphic design of them is marvelous, you also think that they're pointless, right? Like, so they are fighting in this hugely imaginative set, but actually the fighting in that set isn't rendered meaningful in any way. It's just like an exotic backdrop for the fight, fight to take place. Nor is it shot beautifully. Yeah, exactly. And I would actually say this about the first two films as well, although they're better. I think, I think the camera work is absolutely abysmal. I think the set design... Kind of consistently, really, throughout the films, wherever they go, is great. Yes, and and the lighting is often great. Yes. Again, especially in the first. Couple I of films love the in, like, neon look of when they're in them. nightclubs and things yeah. like that. Like they they kind of bathe characters in just one light. You know, and it, it looks wonderful, but the camera doesn't turn any of that to its advantage. Nor does the editing particularly. Yes, uh, uh, like the the first the first fight in this film, or kind of the, the big opening fight, which we agree is good, mm. um, is about is being stuck in a corridor. I'm not talking about the library. I'm talking about where they go to the corridor and, mm. and it's with the knives, yes. and they're throwing knives at each other along a corridor. Basically, yes. it has a concept and it actually has kind of it has jokes in it as well. Like the guys mm. get filled up with knives like pincushions. But how is it shot? It's just, it's kind of mid-shot, it's a kind of a long shot, it, there's nothing that interesting or beautifully staged about the way they're shot. A bit later on, when you have the uh, the kind of, the, the big gunfight that's taking place when they, in the uh, Continental, when they all kind of come for John mm. Wick and Lance Reddick, um, there's a thing about setting it up, like, we're going to turn out the lights and we're going to turn on these green neon lights to, to, you know, for whatever reason. It's basically going, because it's a movie. Yeah. You know, and then we're going to put on a record. I can't remember what the track is, but it's, it's a, a orchestral piece that they used in the previous film as well. And, like, the film's kind of going for this beautiful orchestral sort of quality. And how's it shot? It, boringly. Yeah. You know, with no particular attention. Like, you can't even centre a shot or anything like that. Well, actually, I thought that was probably an... Eco- I, um, what crossed my mind was that it was an economy... Uh, move because you know you have like this beautiful lobby of this grand hotel you know and all of a sudden all the rest of the action sequences seem to be shot in these like backdrops you know that <laughs> yeah, they could have filmed anywhere uh, so um, and that's visible so um, I don't think uh, uh, Keanu Reeves is particularly well served as a star uh, uh, so this time you have a lot more and highly recognizable guest stars. Um, Halle Berry in particular. Halle Berry is the most famous of them. Um, I would also put Angelica Houston there, whom I loved seeing. Actually, I loved seeing both of them, right? Um, so two points of annoyance. One, that, you know, people like that are attractions in a movie. I wish the bloody poster would let you know. I mean, it was a delightful surprise to see, you know, that Halle Berry is in the film. I haven't seen her in any of the advertising. Mm. And the same for Angelica Houston, though. I did see one interview with Angelica Houston where she mentioned she was in the film. But, you know, she hasn't been publicized. And I don't get that. If you're spending all this money to have people like that in the film, why don't you let people know, you know? I think uh, I kind of agree with that, but then I also think the surprise is often nice. You know? Well, like, you people know... People go to see it because it's John Wick. It was a nice surprise, but it, I just don't understand the commercial sense of it, really. Because, yeah, sure. I mean, it might be a small part of the audience that goes to see Angelica Houston and John <laughs> Wick, you know, but, yeah... Uh, there is a part of the audience for that and a much greater part of the audience who would go see Halle Berry, I think. So, you know, uh, that I don't understand. On the other hand, I do think that maybe having all of these people that each have to be given their set piece and their bits 
a little bit takes away from what Keanu Reeves offers. So he's always great in motion. I think he moves beautifully. I love watching him move, actually. And he's very, um, you know, every time he's in, involved in a fight scene, it's like his body paints a kind of picture, really. I mean, he is be he's beautiful to see uh, uh, in, in motion. Um, but he's not given anything, right? And actually, the, the world that was set up in the first film, which is, you know, this man mourning for his wife, enveloped in this kind of black cloud of hopelessness, right? <laughs> kind of trying to, trying to give meaning to his life by the things that, you know, he knows and values, the dog, the car, right? Um, I mean, there's not enough in the third part to sustain that. So, yes, he does go to the library and there's a photo of his wife, but like the rest of the film kind of completely contradicts that and disavows that. Mm. So I don't get that. And there's one point where he says, I want to live for the memory of my wife so I can continue to remember again it's just a lot of dialogue well I think there's a bit more than that I you know no, so I, mean, I kind of believed it but that is the only that, that's yeah, in the photo that's it no it's part of a kind of a concept that does tie in with it that you know so long as people are remembered they're not quite dead so um, but anyway but it's not enough it's not sufficient to to maintain uh, uh, the story and I did think some of the things worked better than others. I didn't like the Casablanca sequence with... I mean, the Halle Berry bit was good. I liked the Halle Berry bit. But as soon as Halle Berry leaves the picture and he goes into this Bedouin tent, and that was all awful. Uh, I hated the fight scene with Halle Berry as well. Oh, did you? And I liked that. I hated that so much I wanted to cry. Why? It was so boring and badly shot. It's like there's a video game called Call of Duty, which is just this cover-based shooter where you just hide behind cover and enemies pop up and you, you jump up and you shoot them and you hide again. You jump up and shoot them and hide. And it's boring as hell. And this is how that was. Like all of the, Oh, all no, I love the dog bits. The dog bits were good. And there was that one shot where um, Halle Berry... Yeah, shoots the one guy, then the dog goes, and shoots the other guy, then the dog goes, and there was mm. you know there was a thing going on in that shot, but the rest of it, it was actually I, I think it was incompetent, and and to, to think to think that it wasn't exciting, you know, it was just boring as hell. And to think of the of of the of the fist fights and the the kind of interpersonal one on one combat that you've had in these films, to see that replaced with just pop out shoot, pop out shoot, boring. Well, I think you might be taking it to extreme now. It wasn't that bad. It was. It was I'm not taking it to extreme. I, I was. No, it was. Uh -huh. I mean, I'm not. I'm not taking the piss. It was that bad. I thought, for me, that the film just didn't know where to end. I mean, there were like about. I mean, I think about 15 minutes before it ended. I thought this would be a great place to end, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and and there were many, right? So, for example, when um, you know Keanu Reeves has to choose between killing. What's his name? The, the guy who runs the hotel. Oh, uh, Ian McShane. Ian McShane. You know, or not. That would be a great moment to end, right? Then you could start the next film with everybody trying to come into the hotel. Mm. Um, so, so there were lots of sequences like that where you thought, oh, this, you know, this... Or, you know, when he taps his hand on the stairway of the hotel and then, you know, the fight has to stop there. That would be a great moment to end because then it can continue on the next one. I don't agree with that. I think it ended in the right place, but it took so long to get there. Oh. You know, I think a whole... You can just compress all of this. I thought there was too much plot, too much trying to build the kind of lore of this world and all the people meaningfully kind of sliding coins across desks. Yeah. That's all they do in this. Like, the coins are the markers, this, that, and the other. Oh, fuck away with that, all that shit. Yes. <laughs> boring. Um... I was very disappointed in the sense that the guy in the Bedouin tent, whoever he was, 
you know, I mean, he's meant to be like the Lord of the Universe or something. So you really needed to cast that with somebody who's got heft and weight and a star persona. Mm. Yeah, that kind of... It's cast completely meaninglessly. And yet, it's an important role. He is meant to be above the... What would they call it? The board or... The high table. The he's, high table. They refer to him as the elder. Yeah. He didn't but, look, I mean, you get there to him and you go, oh... Is that it? Is uh, that basically, only halfway through the conversation did I kind of really realise that's who he was supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> Some guy. So, so that, I thought, was, uh, was very badly cast. I also didn't like um, the young woman who's the emissary of the high table... You know, the loss adjuster. Yeah, she had a she had an interesting look. The adjudicator. Yeah, but then you know she didn't do very much with, you know, what she was given. Really, um, she didn't have the menace. She didn't have the regality. Her name is uh, Asia Kate Dillon. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I think I agree with you on on her look. She had a kind of a slightly sort of neo punk sort of with the hair, the trench coat, and things. But then also she had a, a certain androgyny. As yes. well, like I like, um, that. like Ruby Rose did in the last film. Yes, you know this kind of uh, this kind of contributed to this sort of not quite knowing, not supposed to not quite know who she is, sort of thing. But she's, I think she's not a very good actress. And the writing, the writing throughout these three films, has consistently been some of the worst I've ever seen in cinema. And and it, it was fun in the first film because it 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 felt campy and it felt slightly silly and, and you know like it was supposed to be kind of aping B-movies but now that they kind of tried to take it more serious because they didn't expect to have sequels from the first one it's like now they have they're trying to build this whole, whole world I'm going so am I supposed to be taking this seriously now? I don't think they're taking it more seriously do? I just think they've upped the budget you know because I do think that actually there was something serious about uh, the first film you know, it did have a character and a mood, you know, and I think actually people connected with that sense of sadness and mourning, I you know, um, so uh, whereas like kind of that's all been lost. But it still had acres of terrible dialogue and things like that. But but what I mean is that like in the first film, it also had this, this slightly absurd sort of silly sense of he's you know, basically, you've you've taken the most dangerous man in the world, killed his dog, stolen his car. Yeah. That's the entire sort of that's that's the sort of animating thing to the film is he just he he hates you, and he's going to kill you all because you killed his dog, which mm. reminds me of his wife and blah, blah blah, and stole his car. So it was kind of very simple. There was there were then more take, things than that. There was the brattiness of the kid who'd done it. And I know, I know, but but that's boy. But what I mean is, like that's kind of it was very simple and and. You just got straight into this kind of B movieish kind of action and dialogue. Like you had the you had the baddie, the Russian guy in the first film, who is constantly speaking Russian to his son, and they're speaking. Mm. And then you've got the uh, American guy, his like right hand man, who doesn't understand any Russian, yes. and he's constantly going English, please. And it and it had that like that's a B movie sort of character and line to keep repeating. Mm. Felt very silly. Then the second film starts, and all of a sudden, like you don't have that anymore, and they and they go, well, we're going to build a world about this kind of hitman sort of sort of network and so mm. on, and it's all about the high table and the conspiracy about of it and who's in charge, and you go, you've lost it all, you've lost the charm. Yeah, all of that went. You know what I also didn't like about this was the loosing of the fingers and the seven cuts, and you know, I kind of, I thought they could have done that, all of that better, you know. <laughs> Um, I didn't quite see the point of it. And then he loses his finger and then he's shooting as if it has just had no effect on him. Yeah. You know, which you could have you could have squeezed interesting dilemmas out of 
missing a finger when shooting a gun, right? But no, kind of, it didn't bother. So uh, I was I was very disappointed. Well, I think, I, I, I was, there's a point in the film, there's a point in the film where it makes direct reference to The Matrix, where um, when Lance Reddick and Ian McShane and John Wick are teaming up at the end to defend themselves mm. and defend the um, Continental from the mm. high table, Ian McShane says, what do you need? And John Wick goes, guns, lots of guns. That's a line directly from The Matrix. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's from the first Matrix when they, they load up in the, the construct, it's called. And then, the, you know, your bloke just types a few keys and then mm. shitloads of guns comes rushing past them. That's great. And it's a, like, there was a guy next to us who recognised the line and laughed. Like, mm. that was for him, you know. But the thing is, it's, like, that line came up and I thought, this is like watching a little baby sort of chihuahua, like, yapping away <laughs> at a great day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because the comparison between John Wick and The Matrix is the comparison between choreographers and directors. Mm. These guys aren't directors. They don't have a really strong visual sense. They don't... I I can't think how else to explain it. It's just you are watching very nicely choreographed action, but it's not filmed interestingly. They don't have a good sense of story or anything like that. They don't have a good writer either. Mm. Well, um... I think you're right that it's not very well directed. Um, it's true that um, you never sense a motive behind the camera movement or indeed behind the selection of a composition or a shot. There's kind of a feeling about, oh, how to make this look cool, right? Uh, but they're, doing, they're, they're letting the set designer uh, do all the job uh, of doing that. I do still like the action very much in the sense that, you know, some of the things are a pleasure to see. So, some of those actions are a pleasure. But I just think they're not, they're not rhymed right. I like, you know, a film has to have a sense of rhythm and you ha- it has to have variation. And this is like the same, the same, the same, the same. And actually including the moves that they make, the way that they throw people over, the way that Keanu Reeves always lands on one knee you know, before stabbing somebody or something, right? Mm. It begins to feel very, very samey and, and, and very dull. Uh, yeah. And I think, it, I think it comes down to that, lo- that kind of loss of the charm because I think the first film, again, I think had a lot of this. It had, it had things like, um, you know, when John Wick would have a kind of intimidating conversation with someone and then as he was on his way out, mm. that he'd be coming towards the camera and the person he'd be talking to would be in the background and he'd be in focus and then the person would go, oh, and John, mm. and then they say something like some final thing, mm. you know. And and they they do that throughout the film, but like, it's it's one of these things where when it's when it feels jokey, when it feels self knowing, it's wonderful. And and when it starts to try and sell you a more serious thing, I'm going, I can't tell how seriously you ever you, you want me to take this. Am I supposed to believe it? Because actually, all this stuff is sub Steven Seagal. Mm. Well, it no is. way. No, it's not it, sub it, Steven Seagal. It honestly is. I've this seen film, Steven Seagal's films. Nothing is, you know. This so, is. This is so poor. Well, I, I don't. I don't agree. I think it's properly incompetent. No, I. I mean, I really don't agree. I mean, I think um, you know, you got the sense that uh, um, audiences came out of the film and they liked it, you know, and it worked for most of them. I mean, you know, kind of. I'm coming to it from having really loved the first one, where actually if it had only been the first one, you know, you can attribute depth to the first one, which actually part of the sadness for me of watching this film was, is this thing of, you know, how silly were you to, you know, have tried to attribute depth to the first one, right? Because, you know, kind of the first one has elements where, 
you thought, oh, there's interesting stuff going on here. And actually, by now you realize they're just dodos, really. Like, they don't know the first thing about cinema. Um, but that doesn't diminish, you know, kind of the pleasure that I think the audience was taking in seeing all of those actions kind of um, take place. So I don't know. I saw people leave and not come back. Oh, I didn't see that. Mm, I saw a few. Not a load, but a few. More than well, in most movies. Well, I didn't see that. It's got... The film has fantastic reviews, which I don't think it deserves. Um, and, you know, it kind of displaced Avengers as the number one film. And we went, to a, already seen we went to a two o'clock screening and we were surprised by how many people there were, were there. Yeah. How many people will be coming back to see it a second time? Well, we'll see. Yeah. They see yeah. it on the basis of the other ones, which you would, because the other ones were decent. Actually, I didn't like the second one very much, but the second one did have that great segment where... All of the all of the hitmen were kind of sent on him. He was the contract on him, and he and he fights them. Kind of, they cut across him fighting them simultaneously. I, that was great. I thought the action. This one didn't have anything. That I thought the uh, the set pieces were conceptually very imaginative. You know, the the fighting in a mall with the silencers. Mm. You know, the stuff on yes. the on the tube. I mean, there were many sequences that you thought, oh wow, you know, this is kind of amazing. Yeah, this I, doesn't have any of that. No. I mean, the closest that it came to that was the library scene. And, mm. you know, and I, I just liked that because it was fighting with a book. <laughs> so, but that's it. So, so you know, I, I was very disappointed. And I think, I, and I think that um, they need to, there's too much of an emphasis on, on, on the story and your kind of, your, the investment that you're supposed to have in this world and things. Because I don't think they build it very well. I think the idea of the world that they're trying to build is good. Like the idea of this, this like I said, this kind of hitman network you can put contracts out on each other. I like the, um, which they introduced in the second film, I like the the glimpse into the behind the scenes of how this kind of uh, world works where you've got the kind of bureaucracy mm. and the people at their desks and they're writing on boards and, and they're kind of, it's it's got a slightly almost steampunk sort of combination of modern technology and kind of typewriters and things. Yes, yeah, so I like the work. scene with the surgeon. Yeah, yeah, um. that, was, that was quite nice. Um, but I, the, I like what I like about the background stuff is there's a, there's a film there's a film called Cube, which is a Canadian film mm. from 1997, which is this uh, sort of very low budget kind of horror. It's a decent film, um, and they did a they did a sequel which was <laughs> I like it, but no one else does. And then they did another sequel called Cube Zero, which is set in the background of the kind of world of the first Cube. So it's set around sort of. Uh, again, similar thing to, to what I'm talking about in John Wick 2, where you have the, the people kind of operating this weird world. And it's wonderful, and this really reminded me of it. And there's also a similar kind of um, person from up above, like overlooking what you're doing sort of character. Mm. I think it's far superior, actually, it's Cube Zero. I mean, mm. I think that's a decent movie. But, you know, that that the elements of that in this... Um, I really enjoyed, mm-hmm. you know, that's that seeing the background. That again, that the kind of the charm, imagination. That you know, that that's where it kind of appeared here for me. Everything else, I, I there was no imagination. All right, well, that might be a good <laughs> note to end it on. <laughs> there's one more thing. There was one shot in particular which really caught my eye for just how terrible it was. Uh-huh. Um, which is again, it's going back to this. They're not directors, these guys. Which is where Lawrence Fishburne, who kind of runs a sort of homeless guy network, well, they, they pretend to be homeless, but they kind of they spread all over New York City and they pick up information and stuff. Um, but they're all assassins, obviously. Um, he 
uh, sort of helped out or at least didn't kill John Wick in the previous film. And so this loss adjuster character uh, comes to threaten him and mm. say, we're, we're going to have a way with you. And he's a, he's a very big theatrical character who thinks a lot of himself, Lawrence Fishburne, in this. Um, and he's talking about, you can't dethrone me, I am the throne. And he's got these big lines of dialogue kind of expressing his place. And the way it's shot is, it's just this really badly um, composed two shot where he's just on the right, you've got the, the blurry back of the uh, loss adjuster's head on the right of frame, almost cutting him off. Mm. And he's in a two shot with this other bloke who, on the left, who's just this gormless extra with no lines, just sta- did you notice that shot? I did. I did, but I was thinking of slightly different things because the thing is that the whole series has constantly referenced great classic scenes of cinema, right? So in John Wick 2, you have that whole mirror sequence which is kind of recalling the lady from Shanghai, the Orson Welles film. And in this one, that's also a moment that's meant to bring up, bring to mind Blade Runner, you know? Kind mm. of the thing with the pigeon, right? <laughs> with <Yeah>. the dove. <laughs> but in this case, it's a pigeon. You know, and if you just kind of think how each of them is visualized, they're like miles apart. So it's like, you know, it's, it's like some idiot who's seen a movie and then cites it, but actually without having learned anything from the thing that they're actually citing, mm. you know. That's actually what her look... Uh, I think that kind of makes me think of her look as well, the, the loss adjuster character. Yes. That, that has a, a Blade Runner. She has a Blade Runner look to her somehow. Yeah, yeah. The, I, the, um, the, the, I can't remember the, the love interest name, but the love interest from the first one. Daryl Hannah. No, no, the um, the uh, replicant who he kind of falls in love with. Oh, Sean Young, is it? I think so. I can't, I can't remember. Um, yeah, yeah, how's the kind of look of that? I, I, was, I, I thought... Um, do you know this George Lucas thing about how when he made THX 1138 in 1971, I think... Um, it was his kind of really cold, sort of calculated sci-fi, and it didn't do very well. And um, he was disappointed in that. And his wife said well, he didn't emotionally involve anyone. Mm. And he said it's easy to emotionally involve people. You just get a kitten and then have some guy wring its neck. And you know the whole point of that is that it's it's easy. It's low effort. You don't have you know. And and you get the feeling that in these films, these guys actually do need to do that. Because they don't have another way of emotionally involving it. Oh, I think the dogs are definitely using that way yeah. in this film. The first one, it's all about, you have the dog on, no, but on the it, screen for two scenes and but he dies. The, the first one, the whole thing about the dog is that it has all these other resonances. So the dog is not just a puppy. It represents the wife and love. Know. And, you know. Whereas in this one, it's just full of cute dog moments, right? That's yeah. all. But that's also, <laughs> kind of, that's also slightly the difference. Because as you say, in the first film... It's it. It is partly that it's a very very cute little puppy, but it's that you know you understand immediately that it comes from the wife and it means so much to John Wick because of that. Mm. It's I mean that's set up very very elegantly at the at the start of the first mm. film. In this, they have a moment where um, Halle Berry has these two dogs and one of them is shot, mm. and uh, although it turns out that uh, his armor plated sort of suit protected him, but in the moment that you're supposed to think that the dog has died, do you feel anything? No, I felt nothing. Like there's no, and it, and it comes down to they can't even kill a dog properly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we might be uh, beating a dead horse here. Yeah. Um, so um, thank you very much for listening. It's terrible. <laughs> we are eavesdropping <laughs> at the movies. I don't think I'm going to see a worse film this year. Yes, you are, and we are on. Actually, to be fair, when was the Happy Time Murders? Was that this year, or was that last year? 
I can't remember. I can't remember the film either. That was the puppet one. Oh God! Yes. I know. <laughs> There's. I bet you we're going to see more, much worse than this. Actually, I um, can't imagine that we will. I think this is awful. If it didn't have stars, I don't in it, think it's awful. If it didn't have stars in it, this would be straight to video. But it does have stars in it, and I love watching Keanu, and I love watching Halle Berry, and I love uh, watching Angelica Houston and Lawrence Fishburne and Ian McShane. McShane. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a lot of people yeah. to like. And, That's called and, papering over cracks. And well, there is that, but you know, it has that, and you know, it has uh, great action bits. Which get diminishing with diminishing returns as the film progresses, but nonetheless, it has a great action bit. Well, two library, which then goes into the knife scene. Actually, I, I don't agree. I mean, I think that any of them in isolation, I would say they're great. It's just that because there's no variation or change or whatever, cumulatively, you know, the, it feels n- relentless. It feels like you know, it's just, it's, it's, it'll never end. But I think if you saw any of those action sequences in isolation, I think they're probably still very good. I couldn't agree less. Well, I think they're bad action sequences. I really do. You know, the fact that they come one after the other and they're and they're all the same as each other doesn't help. But I think they are bad on their own. Well, I don't. I don't agree with that. I liked watching them. All right. No, you didn't. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) We're um, we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, and YouTube. Uh, On social media, we're on Twitter and Facebook at Eavesdrop Movies, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 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 (laughs)